Hey, yo, what's good? What's good? What's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ The Road Podcast presented by DJ City. Big shout out to DJ City. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. I got DJ Never here. Yo, what up? I got DJ D Miles. What's good? What's good? I got Jamie the Great. Yeah. And we got an LA staple. I mean, this dude is responsible for a lot of the radio shows in LA, 20 plus years in the game. He's currently the, the program content director of uh, Power 106, uh, 93.5 K-Day. And if that wasn't enough, he also oversees 93.9 Cali, which is a, a reggaeton station. I guess that launched in 2018. We got E-Man in the building. What's good, E-Man? What's up, y'all? Hey, hey, brother. Thank you for having me, man. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. No doubt, man. We've been actually, want, I've been wanting you on, on, the, on the show for a minute. You know, Never and I are from New York. So yeah. we grew up on, obviously we grew up on New York radio. But yeah, there's yeah. there's a couple things that I'm always interested in. I'm always I'm always interested in like LA gang life and I'm interested in like <laughs> LA radio shit because I always have this thing and you might actually help me with this. I always compare New York and East Coast DJs to West Coast Cali DJs. Yeah, yeah. There's always this yeah. thing because when I first moved to the West Coast, I noticed like a significant difference in DJ styles and stuff like that. No, absolutely. I think uh, over the years what I, I've also noticed uh, throughout the years um, is the, the, the styles, the style in the East coast, especially a lot of the East coast DJs, mm -hmm. um, they were about personality. They were about energy. They were about hype. And, uh, you know, even the way they, they, they mixed their music, you know, a lot of it, uh, did a lot of, they would kind of just drop the records in and out, you know? So to them, it was more about vibe, mm -hmm. which is, which is honestly a, a great thing. Uh, whereas, you know, we saw more of uh, on, on the West Coast side of, of things with DJs that they were kind of more on the technical aspect of DJing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we were more on the West Coast kind of more about, you know, the way we sounded in regards to was it a clean mix? How how's our doubles? How's our scratches? How's our transitions? Right. And what we didn't do much of was really the personality side in regards to on the mic, mm -hmm. you know. So we kind of spoke more with our hands and and this is no diss at all to the east coast again this is just the the style of djing that that you know they evolved in what they started with over there and if you kind of think about it that that style that the east coast uh djs had it it definitely transitioned over here in in different ways and even to this day you see a lot of djs uh from yourselves to you know djs uh, in the clubs on the radio that they do incorporate that that personality side where they're they're also on the mic and even you know that that dropping of the song like everything doesn't have to be mixed right and and that's something that we we learned as well from the, from the east coast uh djs but at the same time i know there are some uh you know east coast djs who also uh you know picked up on what the west coast djs were doing in regards to you know the the skill set or the skill level in regards to how we mix and for sure you know, cleanness yeah. doubles scratching and, and all the other stuff i mean am at the time was a huge influence on new york you know when he was yeah. he was bubbling in the late 2000s and uh but i always yeah. hear from djs all a lot of club djs a lot of working djs who came up in la that they all learned from radio like yeah they all learned from radio and uh radio is such a, an integral part of like the hip-hop dj scene in la you know what i mean and it's it, yep. it, it's so important that every almost every dj we've had from la shouts the radio like yo i learned from the radio i learned djing from the radio yeah i kind of i kind of grew up listening to e-man like when i was in sixth grade walking to fucking middle school like he was on and mr chalk and stuff like that so yeah most djs credit the radio so you basically i mean you've done almost every 
position in the radio pause i mean you you've done everything you've done uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've done all positions e-man yes, you've you're, done you're <laughs> jack of all traits <laughs> <laughs> you've done a you programming coordinator mix show coordinator assistant music director music director and now the program content director for power 106 and 93.5 k day and for those who don't know Power 106 is urban hip-hop. It's like basically New York's Hot 97, right, of L.A.? Correct, correct, correct. Hot 97 uh, is really our, our sister station. Okay. Uh, you know, before our owners, the new owners we had, we uh, before our new owners bought Power 106, uh, Hot 97 and Power 106 uh, have always been sister stations. We were owned by the same company, MS mm. uh, Communications. Mm-hmm. So e- even to this day and even for, for years, I have an incredible relationship with all the DJs, the personalities, to even the the uh, people behind the scenes uh, there. Yeah. So, you know, salute and props to my my hot 97 family because they're yeah. family regardless. So like yeah. how do how do they how do you guys coordinate coordinate everything? Like how do you guys do you guys speak to each other? Um uh, I mean behind the scenes I would have conversations with uh you know some of the people there, especially the the program director, um, PO, uh, who I know very well. Um and even conversations I'd had in the past with, if it's you know Ebro, who's obviously still on the air. Right. You know I know Nessa very well. She's she's a good friend. Uh, team and their music director now, TT. Uh, to again, I know Flex. To you know Rosenberg. To just the whole team out there, and even the mixers. Um, and it's funny because even one of my one of my staff uh, currently came from. Well, actually, a couple of uh, my my staff now came from Hot ninety seven. Mm. So again, there, there's a great. There's a great relationship that we have, but but to your your question about music, um, and we t- when we when we do link up or when we do talk, you know, we, we always ask about what's hot in New York, what's hot. They'll ask about what's hot in the West, so we, we definitely keep in touch when it comes to the music. But, but at the same time, we we also see what's going on too. But you guys basically kind of keep to your cities, and basically, it's it's. Do you feel like it's become more segregated the music regionally? Uh, uh, no, I, I think it's actually gotten more more appreciated mm. uh, in regards to that. I think that the internet, social media, streaming has, has really helped that. Yeah. And it, it's made the, the transition of sounds a lot faster and a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but yes, you know, we'll, we'll hear about what's popping in, in, in the East Coast. We'll hear about what's hot in, in the West Coast. And again, like I've seen in the past in my radio experiences where, oh, that's only a New York record. Oh, that's L.A. record. Oh, the West Coast sound will ever work in the East Coast or vice versa. I mean, you see a lot of that now. Yeah, yeah. And again, I really think that it's because of uh, streaming, the internet, social media. And, and to be honest with you, it's it's the people behind the scenes who, who appreciate the music and, and know that, you know, regardless, these songs will, will have appeal to, to our audiences. So you're juggling, like, <laughs> you're juggling the program contact director for Power 106 and 93.5 K-Day, 93.5 yes. K-Day is like, what is it, like a throwback hip-hop and R&B station? Yeah, it's cl- it's a classic hip-hop station, and, and K-Day is really one of the origin- uh, original hip-hop stations, uh, not just in L.A., and really uh, the country. Mm. They they were first on a uh, on an AM signal, KDAY 1580, and that's how I really started uh, getting influenced by, by mixing and DJing on the radio. You know, salute to uh, you know DJs like Julio G, uh, Tony G, and, and uh, you know the mix masters up there. They they brought um, really the the art of DJing uh, to the radio. Mm-hmm. And then when you fast forward some years later, um, 
really what, what caught my ear of DJing on the radio was, was the Baker boys, mm. you know, and, and the, and the style and the sound that, that they were doing when it came to mixing. And that's what really motivated me to, to really take myself to the next level. And, and when I heard that stuff, I was like, Hey, I, I really want to try to do the same thing. It took a demo mix that I made, I made a four track mixtape that I made <laughs> yeah. that I dropped off to, to the Baker boys. And, 90 minutes later, I get a page on a beeper from an 818 number. That goes to show how old, old I am. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it, was a, it was a radio station. And, you know, they, it, was, it was the Baker Boys, Nick and Eric. And they liked what I did. They liked the mix. So they invited me that following Friday to do a guest set on Friday Night Flavors, which is their, wow. their big hip-hop radio show, uh, hip-hop radio mix show they had at night. And then from there, it, it kind of led to everything now yeah what made you what made you decide to drop off a demo because i feel like that's something now that'll probably never happen like you know, d miles that's, that's a great question um and i've told the story a couple times but really the dj scene in, in la at the time was about crews it was about clicks um and at one point personally i felt like that i was doing a lot of stuff DJing wise. And I felt like I just wasn't getting the credit for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had to do something that was different. Um, yes, I'd be on a flyer with, with a lot of my DJ peers, but I felt like I just wasn't getting the props. Um, I might be doing this mixtape, but I felt like I wasn't getting the props. So again, it's not even just about the acknowledgement. It was just more personally like, Hey, you know, I feel like I just got to do something to really take myself to the next level. Cause I felt like that, you know, I'm, I'm, again, it's not about just looking for all the, the attention and the props. I just felt like for personal fulfillment, I just felt like I just needed to find a, another way to be acknowledged for, for I felt like the talent and skills that I have. Again, that's what really motivated me to, to really bring that, uh, that mixtape to, to the Baker Boys. Yeah. And it wasn't mailing it in or anything. It was really just driving up to the radio station, dropping it off, and uh, again, just making that effort to, to do that. Was Power still in Burbank at the time? Yeah, Power uh, is still the exact same place where it's at now in Burbank. And uh, at the time, I lived in uh, uh, I lived in the Long Beach, Orange County area. So it was about a good fifty minutes. That was a good drive. drive. It is. <laughs> you yeah. gambled it. You're like fuck it. That's yeah. funny that that was a fifty minute drive back then. Now that's probably like an hour and a half drive. Oh, it's an hour and a half. Yeah, but <laughs> unfortunately, with the time now, it's only thirty minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, growing up in Long Beach. Like, how was it growing up in there? I'm always fascinated by that neighborhood, especially like I've been seeing like videos in the past couple of years on like the, the gang life out there with like some of the Asian Crip gangs. And it's called like Little Cambodia, right? Out there in Long Beach. Yeah. Well, yeah, in the it's kind of more on the east side of Long Beach. But uh, yeah. where I grew up, I grew up on the west side of Long Beach. And, mm -hmm. and the area that I lived, it was kind of unique because uh, I was, you know, I, I would hate to, I hate to say that I was in the hood, but I, I just... It was a unique part of town where in one part, one street across from me or in front of me was a, a Hispanic gang. Behind me was uh, the Insane Crips. Uh, on the same street was a gang member from uh, SOS, the Sons of Samoa. And even a block over is another gang from, uh, they were a Guamanian gang called Westside Islanders. And even the, my next door neighbors who were, were part of it. Actually, funny story is that my first experience of DJing a house party was next door at my uh, 
at my friend's house who happened to be in, in this West Side Islander gang. I was just doing a house party for gangsters and not even knowing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way it went. Yeah. That's the way it went. Wait, so how, how did you navigate with that? That neighborhood sounds crazy. It's like everyone's, you're like in an intersection of all of these gangs pretty much. Yeah, you know, I think, to be honest with you, I think what kept me out of it was was DJing. Mm. Was it was the hobby and the passion for for DJing, and, and you know I want to uh, shout out to my cousin Ollie Oliver who who really got me into into DJing. But I really think that's what kept me away from the potential of being in uh, in gang life or involved in that. And at the same time, I, I think the even the the people the friends that I knew at the time who were involved, they knew what I was doing and they kept me away from it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then we did with Ali. Did you? Is that when you started like this mobile DJ company and stuff like that? No, he actually he just got me into the hobby of it. So I, I I tell people that you know for me DJing was a hobby that turned into a business, right? That to, that turned into a career, and you know the business obviously was obviously was the the mobile DJing aspect, and then the career, which became obviously on the radio side. But really quick. Uh, cricket i want to go back to just even the city of long beach because, yeah, yeah um you know I, I went to long beach poly which would have a lot of stars such as snoop dogg and um i remember even before snoop really was discovered um i remember a high school dance we did during lunch and he came up on the mic and he just wanted a freestyle <laughs> and damn you were dj he started I was DJing. I was DJing with Shit. one of my friends back then. Shout out to, to Style DJs. I was a DJ crew, and I so was DJing wait, the, the so high wait, school dance. Did you know him? Was he known in the school? No, I didn't no? know him. No, no, I, no I, I didn't really know him. Yeah, this, this is before Death Row. This is way before Death Row. This is before G thing, before Deep Cover, before all oh, that. Shit. This is when Snoop was just, again, going to the school. And uh, I remember he was doing a freestyle, and then the principal came and just stopped because the bell rung because he wanted to keep going. And then... <laughs> Wow, man. That's a hell of a story. Look at his name. Yeah. Do you but, remember Do you remember if he was nasty back then? It was just like, holy shit, this dude's nasty? Or was it like, yeah? I just remember it was, for what it was at the time, it was dope. Yeah. So I was like, yo, he's mm-hmm. dope. And again, I, I didn't realize it until till later. I was like, yo, that, that was Snoop. So you were hanging so, out yeah. with Cameron Diaz too? <laughs> no, she went to the school at the same time. and But um, but I didn't really know her back then. Oh, you know, okay. People I knew was obviously like Snoop. Uh, Willie McGinnis was on the New England Patriots at the time. Yeah. I mean, like back then, recently. So, you know, you know, we all kind of came from that, uh, from that same year. What were y'all listening to? What were y'all listening to? Like, what was the soundtrack of high school in Long Beach at that time? Well, for me, um, my hip hop back then wasn't the be- just the Beastie Boys or L Cool J Run DMC. It was something we called techno hop. So to me, it was Dr. Dre when he was in the World Class Wrecking Crew. Oh, it was early Two Live Crew. JJ Fat. Was, it was JJ Fat, or even before uh, JJ Fat. It was okay. Egyptian Lover. It was early yeah. Radio Joe. The Jam on it, shit like that. Yeah, all that nucleus. Yeah, uh, all what about freestyle. Freestyle, yeah, freestyle in regards to the group freestyle who had Don't Stop the Rock and, <laughs> and the party just begun. But even also freestyle in regards to uh, Expose. Even the cover girls, like mm-hmm. some of that late '80s dance stuff that that you know the what we were into musically. Wait, mm-hmm. so you call that I, the techno hop? What'd you call it at the time? We called it techno hop. So it was really? hip hop, but in a, like a like technical sound. Hip-hop. Yeah. So think of like again, like even like some of the biggest records we had were "It's Time," uh, "Cybertron's Clear." It yeah. was those type of that sound, Technicolor by a group called Channel One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
E.T. Yeah, I've never yeah, it was I've never heard that term before, techno hop before. Neither yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know yeah. exactly what records you're talking I, about. I know exactly what you're saying too, but I never heard it yeah. like label like that. That's what you mm-hmm. never so have you heard of it back then. Yeah. I never heard of it. I just knew it was like an actual hip hop. That's electro what we call hip-hop. it in New York. Yeah, but there were, again, but exactly it's it's really electro hip hop because I know in the East they called it that too. But yeah, it's like Twilight Twenty Two. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. Electric Kingdom. It was even uh, Rock. Well, it was Africa and and all yeah. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ah, it was that sound. So that was and at thing. the same time, yeah, and, at, and as DJs, I, I don't know if it was a, a Filipino thing or Asian thing, but we always had to play it at plus eight, or and we had to go into the turntable, adjust the pitch as fast as possible inside, so the plus eight was almost like plus 16. Damn, man. What? <laughs> yeah. Is that because you guys were dance fast? fast or what was that? <laughs> yeah, it was just, that, was just all the, that was just how the, the DJ scene at the time was was into we, we just loved playing stuff faster than what it really was the philippine yeah. the filipinos have like jerry curls and shit back then or no <laughs> nah not not really we had, we had pompadours like those yeah, big yeah. ass like hairs we, we like to wear karate flip-flops what they called it was just those really flat shoes you know we had baggy pants that we rolled up at the bottom and all we had baggy sweatshirts and stuff like that but I mean that that was just the whole the whole DJ scene back then. So you 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 grew up in in Long Beach and uh, your parents I guess had an ill ass record collection or they were really heavily into music, right? Yeah, well actually I was uh, so funny. I was actually born in the East Coast. I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. Wow. And then my my dad was in the Navy. So mm-hmm. me and my brother Verman, DJ Verman, was born in uh, Annapolis. And then you know when my dad had to be transferred to different bases, we went from. Um, North, we went from Annapolis, Maryland to Norfolk, Virginia to Jacksonville, Florida. And then oh, when shit. I was seven years old is when we came to Long Beach, California. So that's where I basically grew up. I don't remember a lot of, of course, the other cities, but uh, but grew up in, in, uh, in Long Beach, really. And uh, my dad was the one who was collecting vinyl. He's the one who was buying everything from Elvis Presley to the Beatles to Casey and the Sunshine Band to all these other you know, vinyls. So he kind of had that collection. Yo, Eman, did you ever go to that club that Lonzo and the Wrecking Class crew was running at that time, or you never got to Yeah, that? you know, is it the one that was in Long Beach? No, they had another. No, I haven't. I, I was doing a lot of hall parties back then, but I didn't get a chance to experience any of their parties. I did go to one that Egyptian Lover threw years ago, but I don't yeah. think that was the same one that they had. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because yeah. they were playing a bunch of that electro uh hot yeah. stuff that you're speaking about yeah. so yeah 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 so again like if you if you look at world-class wrecking crew and look at the type of records they had they had like surgery uh juice and the and, dr uh, dre, yeah, dr. Those, dre. Those, <laughs> that's the dr dre i grew up knowing the yeah. one with the, with the with the face mask the purple silk joint. yeah 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 with the, with the high boots and shit like, like <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> But look what that led him to. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what was the slow jam? We'll turn off the lights. Yeah, yeah, it was turn yeah. off the lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big. Yeah. That was a big LA record at the time too. It was. Right it was. Yeah. yeah. So when you when you yeah. started this mobile DJ company, was that in high school or like after high school? No, you know what's so crazy? That was in uh, late middle school slash junior high. I was. Uh, wow. I was four. I was fourteen when I did that. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. I was like, at a young age. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. I was. I was. I was reading this shit, uh, and I was like. How the fuck, who, who, where did you get, like, who planted the seed? What planted the seed for you to start your own business like that? Because that's not normal, you know, I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, you're right, but you, you know what it was? It was the, uh, again, it was these DJ crews I started just 
you know, getting to know, and they were already doing like gigs and, and private events. And that's how I ended up starting. My first real official gig, aside from a house party, was a wedding. And yeah. then that's how it evolved from just weddings to birthday parties to uh, high school dances to a lot of just private events. Where did you get this money from to get all this equipment and stuff? Oh, that was honestly, that was my parents. Wow. Um, You'll be surprised. My first set of turntables were a brand called Vector Research. $69. There uh, were $69 each, and the pitch control was in the front. Like, it was, a, it was in the side. Like, it was in the front. Not on top. It was in the front. Mm. And, uh, and the Realistic Radio Shack Mixer, $119 back then. Wow. That's the Radio that Shack. Was, yep. That was my setup to wow. start. And that's how I, I was able to practice. I, I have a question. And I was doing mobiles doing it. Yep. I have a question for you, uh, E-Man. Well, all yes, these sir. crews coming up around that same time, like uh, the Beat Junkies, you never wanted to join them? Because I know you have kind of a cool relationship with like Icy Ice and Mr. Chalk and stuff like that. No, I, you know, absolutely. Um, and I and shout out to the entire Beat Junkies. Um, I was really good friends. Well, I am still really good friends with Icy Ice, uh, Melody, uh, Retmatic, and, and a lot of the, the people there. Um, at the time, and... At the time, this is really what motivated me to get to, to really take myself to the next level. Um, at the time, I was doing a lot of stuff with them, too, on the club side. They all had their own DJ crews, but they also created their Beat Junkie crew. And I remember I was doing the radio show with them that they had and, and various things. And, uh, you know, Melody and, uh, Melody and Ice and Retmatic were, were the three that were fighting to get me into the crew. Mm-hmm. But... Um, there was some individuals in the crew that felt like that I wasn't ready for it. And even the different things I was doing from the club circuit and all that stuff. I mean, granted, I'm not the, the technical DJ like how a lot of them are. Mm-hmm. And, but I was kind of more known in, that, in this overall scene for just really the club rocking and, and the party rocking and really uh, the way I executed my mixes, the cleanliness and kind of more the creativity. But right. um, when when mellow ice and Rhett were, were fighting to get me in you know there was some that were unsure about me and, and i respected it you know it, it was cool you know they still all you know had me involved in everything they did but at the same time i couldn't officially say i was a i was a beat junkie yeah you and didn't meet the I, criteria in a sense yeah and i think that's what motive that really was one of the main things that that motivated me to be like well you know what if that's the case let me see what I could do now to take myself to the next level. Yeah. And again, I have nothing but love for every single person in that crew. Uh, I mean, we're, we're still friends again. Like I'm really good friends with, with most of them. And, uh, and, and I, I support them hundred percent. And again, I think if anything, that was just uh, another way to, that maybe God or someone was telling me, Hey, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe it's about just you shining on your own. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, this kind of also ties into a lot of the DJ crews. Um, a lot of other crews were also asking me to be a part of their group as well and to be in it. But there was just something that was telling me maybe I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you were definitely like, fuck the beat junkies. <laughs> <laughs> the beat junkies suck. No, nah, <laughs> nah, I was that. I just, honestly, I was probably just, just if anything, I was disappointed. And again, like a lot of them are, again, a lot of them are friends. Yeah, I took, yeah. I took, I took it a little personally, but. Again, that's what that's what really pushed me. And I think honestly, too, that really just kind of strengthened me as a person as well. <laughs> that's great. And more fuel for the fire, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. In a sense, yeah. yeah. So then, when you dropped off your mixtape, yeah, I did the guest set on Friday Night Flavors, and then from there, I I, I kept in touch with the Baker Boys. I did a couple of guest spots here and there, 
And then uh, they were really trying to push me to the music director at the time and the program director at the time. They were just telling them, hey, you got to try to bring this on. And I noticed that Power was trying to do more mix shows or more mixing. And they only had a few mixers besides the Baker Boys. All they had was DJ Henry, Tony B, and Richard Humpty Vision. Those are the only DJ they had. And they were trying to do more live mixing. And the Baker Boys were really trying to, to push me there. And then uh, one day I, I get a call to um, do an on-air audition. And I did this on-air audition on Christmas Eve, <laughs> and uh, and I remember just going up there. It was a, it was a eight to it was I believe it was eight o'clock at night. Did the set for two hours. Came back. My family was excited. I had a lot of my family at the house. And then uh, on the day after Christmas, on the twenty sixth, I got a call and they're saying, "Hey, can you come up here and meet with the with with us, the team?" So I met with the music director and the program director. And they're like, "Hey, we really like what you we, you did. I mean, we're getting nothing but great feedback. We want to hire you." Um, we're about to start a new show on Saturday nights at the top of the year called Big Boy's Fatter Saturday Nights. We want to put you on that show with Big Boy. And I was like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. I'm not going to say no. I say, let's do it. And that's really how I got to, to meet Big Boy and, and work with Big Boy. It started on the weekends. And then he had his night show as well. And he had a mix called the Mickey Ficky Mix. And at the time, he was just rotating various DJs. And then that's when Big Boy and the program director said, hey, you know, let's, let's just give it to E-Man and see what he could do. And that's how I became Big Boy's DJ as a Mickey Ficky DJ. And I was doing it at nights. And then, and then Big Boy got moved to afternoons. I went to, with him in the afternoons. And at the same time, I was still doing morning guest sets with the Baker Boys. And then, you know, a couple years later, the, uh, the program director felt it was time to put Big Boy in mornings. So that's when I moved to mornings with Big Boy as well. Wow. So since Dude. then, uh, and then from there, I've been rocking with Big Boy ever since. And uh, again, shout out to Big Boy. I know that uh, you know business took him to uh, to you know follow a different direction, but mm -hmm. to this day, we're still really good friends. And uh, you know, just even our, our our time together at Power led us to a lot of great experiences and things like that. Like that got me to my first true international DJing gig, just with with Big Boy. We 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 did Japan, and next thing you know, that became. We started doing tours, and I had a residency in, in Japan. Wow. At one point, I was in Japan nine to ten times a year just to DJ. That's crazy. Wow. What year was that? Yeah. Do you know? That was, yeah, that was uh, between 2000, sometime between 2002 and 2007, 2008. So you were kind of bringing crates of records to Japan, and then you moved to Serato yeah. pretty much, right? Correct. Wow. Correct. It wasn't until 2000, 2006, where I started bringing a laptop and, and got into Serato. Did you ever lose any and crates going to Japan or no? No, but on some other places, I got my, my crates got delayed. Wow. And oh, that's what shit. I got scared about. And this is even pre, you know, because <laughs> I was doing Hawaii. I didn't really do a lot of international, but I was doing a lot of Hawaii pre Serato. And uh, I, there was one time uh, my crates didn't make a flight and they said it's going to come on the next flight. But that flight got delayed and it came at 1 a.m. My set was at 12 30. Oh, shit. So they said, we'll deliver it to your hotel. It's like, no, nah, I'm going to wait for it right here at the baggage claim. And I ran right to my gig, did my gig at 1.30. Luckily, the, the clubs at back then closed at 4 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I made it really in time to do it. Oh my God. How many crates was you carrying with you at the time? Um, about two to three bags or, or those metal crates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just because, uh, you know, and at the same time, I mean, I tried to bring as least as possible. And this yeah. was pre the, the, bag, the baggage fee that they had. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were still limited up to what two or three three checking bags. I think it was two at the time, yeah, yeah. But uh, 
I, I, I tried to study each each market or, or know what's hot at the time before I would bring records. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, so you basically spun with Big Boy for like fifteen plus years, right? Because he left. Yeah, for good. He's, yeah, for about twenty years, almost twenty years. Almost twenty yeah. years because he left yeah. uh, Power One Hundred Six in what two thousand fifteen. Correct. Around there. Around two thousand fifteen. Yeah, around two thousand fifteen. Around yeah, two thousand fifteen. Where did he go? Like iHeartRadio, I think. Yeah, he went to uh, iHeartRadio. He went to a station that, at the time, on the radio wars, if, if you rewind back just a little bit, in New York, you know, Hot ninety seven obviously was dominating as the hip hop station, right? And uh, iHeart, you know who had they had uh z100 and some other radio stations they saw that that hip-hop was just taking over radio and making so much noise in the ratings especially and it was affecting their business so they you know they had to do something in new york to go up against high 97 that's how they created power 105. Hmm. some years later they saw that working and in la hip-hop obviously was, was also massive and there was no other platforms uh radio wise playing hip-hop all there was was Kiss FM and, and you know the rock stations and all that, and Kiss couldn't go in that that lane to play all this hip hop. So, and at the same time, the ratings for Power was was dominating. So they felt they had to do something similar in New York and L.A., and that's how they became, you know, this station. And uh, that's you know they they felt like hey, if we bring if they could bring some talent like Big Boy over, it'll help obviously them. And again, it was it was you know a business move and. Uh, and you know they felt that you know and for big boy you know he felt like it was just you know the best decision for him so that's how they became real 923 was there an option for you to go with big boy or uh you know that's a that's a great question and some people asked that and i haven't really spoke on it but you know yes they you know at the same time they they felt that um you know they they wanted me to go as well um but um if I would have went, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have had the same opportunities aside from DJing um, as what I'm doing now here at Power. Because at, at the time, I was the number two person at Power in regards to behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So I was a music director and assistant program director. And, you know, I had a lot of, you know, say and, 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 and whatnot, you call it, uh, with a lot of things at the time. And who, who was the number one at the time? Was it... Was it Jimmy Steele? Was it Jimmy Steele? Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Steele was a, was a, a VP of programming who had Power and Hot at the time. Who you also and, credited? Uh, you also credited him as as one of your mentors, right? No, absolutely. Yeah, he, yeah. He, I've learned a lot uh, from him in regards to the science of radio. Um, but uh, did I have the opportunity to leave? I did. But I also felt like going there as a DJ would be a step up. Going there as a potential program director as a music director would have been a step backwards mm. because I wouldn't have had the opportunities uh, in regards to that level. Um, so I, I felt like it was best for me to stay. So at that time, did you find it more valuable to, to focus on the programming and the programming and the, and the content and running the station more than actually DJing? Yeah, I was still on the air and that's when they brought on the, Jay Cruz and the Cruz show. Yeah. And I still stayed in mornings. And I know there was a couple people at the time uh, who was part of Big Boy's show that, that also stayed. Uh, but there was also some that ended up uh, going with him. But uh, I just, but my role at the time, aside from just DJing, was, was really behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what, what I love about, excuse me, what, what, what I really enjoyed about Jimmy Steele 
was when he first came in, he came from a uh, he came from a adult hits kind of pop station, and he didn't really know much about hip hop. And the at the time, the the president of of MS felt bringing him in was more on a managerial standpoint. And what what's dope about Jimmy is that when you know he said, "Hey, you know," when I first met him, he's like, "Oh, so you're the music director of Power? You're going to be the music director." And what that means is that. Usually with, with a lot of radio stations, a program director is very involved with the music and handles all that and usually still is the main point of contact with, with a lot of the labels. Jimmy was like, nah, everything goes to email. I'm not even touching the music. I don't want to be involved. Any record label, head of record label will call or any artist will try to call, they're like, talk to email. Wow. So he he basically empowered me when he, when he came came over. And again, through those years, he just continued to, to build me to and kind of, I, I, I will say he kind of prepped me for what I'm doing now. That's inc- that's yeah. that's a that's interesting because I was wondering, you have so much loyalty to Big Boy, right? Because you've been DJing with him for twenty plus Absolutely. years. So yep. when he left, it's I you know, and then you mentioned uh, Jimmy Steele being your mentor. I was wondering if there was just like a battle between loyalties, just kind of like, uh, like do I stay here or do I go with Big Boy? Do I have more opportunities here to become a program director or do mm-hmm. I go there and maybe you know? Uh, elevate my DJ career, so it was just like it's sure. at a crossroads. And now uh, I was wondering what was going on in your head at the time. Yeah. You know, well, that I think was a lot of my. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying that was. I remember at the time, like that was like a huge deal in the city, like just on the streets. Like that was like Jordan leaving the Bulls. Yeah. Yep. Like when Big Boy left Power, it was like what? Like how is that even possible? And I think yep. a lot of people thought, well, naturally, E Man's gonna go too. Yeah. Right. right. There was a lot I, of people. I, I, a lot of people thought that, and it's funny. Um, they thought, and and well, I'll, I'll share this this thought later on. But a lot of people did think that I was I was going to go. And again, I, I it was a very tough decision, but I had to make a decision that was best for myself, that I felt was best for my family, and really best for the long term. Mm-hmm. And again, this is no no shot at anyone at all. It's just again, it, it just I felt like that for my career. I don't know even at the time like how long I was even thinking like I don't know how long I could be DJing for. Mm. You know, and uh, so I was like, well, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should just really stick with with what I'm doing now behind the scenes and see where that takes me. Yeah, because it was like it was like the Beatles breaking up for L.A., bro. Like people <laughs> people don't understand. Yeah. I grew up to this Mickey Ficky mix on the 20s since I was 10 to like all the way up to high school when I when I, you know, things changed for me. But yep. it, it's it's crazy because the phone tabs. Tattoo, getting the the shack tattoo, it's yep. it's a great it's a crazy time for radio where you guys were like the celebrities to us. Yeah, it was no, like, absolutely. It was like, like that was that was the soundtrack to me going to school every morning since yeah. I was a child up, up through high school was the Mickey Ficky mix, the phone taps, like Jamie said, like that was what I remember on my rides to school or taking the bus or whatever. Like that was yeah. my journey was going to school listening to big boy and email in the, in the morning yeah. it's like you we guys were, were my mr yeah. rogers in the neighborhood <laughs> yeah that was y'all <laughs> you know what, we, were, we were we were a great dynamic duo you know we were you know we were like that jazzy jeff and the fresh prince you know team yeah like you know he even when we came to rocking clubs like it was always about he was the mc i was a dj wherever we went if it was you know locally nationally to internationally like we like we always had that that chemistry and that vibe, especially on the radio. And I think that's just what it is. Like we got a chance to, to develop that. And one thing I'll, I'll give props on big boy, you know, and people don't really know this or might not know this, but he's also a DJ. Mm-hmm. So 
he knows he knows his skills. He knows what he listens out for. And again, for him to give me, even to even, you know, agree to having me as part of his his team back then, if it was on Saturday nights, to even his regular shows, again, like he he knew it. And and honestly, he continues to be one of my my biggest like um, like people who fight for me when it comes to DJing. Like he, I, I give him props because he always shouts me out as one of his favorite DJs. I appreciate that. Hey, did he start as like a security guard or something at the radio station or some shit? And uh, he he was before that. He was a security guard for the the group Farsight. Oh, the Farsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The far side. yeah. And he and, he, and at the same time he was still DJing too here and there, rocking parties and stuff. Uh, but it's also you know he was doing some guest spots on on Friday Night Flavors too here and there with the Baker Boys. So interesting. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. I, I didn't yeah. know that about the far side. I know it's nuts. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's, it's so, so funny. I actually met Big Boy uh, years ago uh, through the far side, but but it was just like a one quick meet. Like, but we didn't know each other obviously at the time, and I didn't know that Big Boy that I met back then was going to become the Big Boy of, of, of radio. <laughs> that know? was the four hundred pound Big Boy. Yeah, Yo, he was still he was on. still 400, 500 pounds when I met him. Yo, before <laughs> we move on, four hundred pound Big Boy, whose idea was to put him half ass? naked on those billboards back in the day oh that's that's a combination of him and, and his team and if anything i think it was probably more his his idea uh, but you know i i know that marketing wise and the station you know they 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 wanted to do something and big boy obviously they, they wanted to do something that would just create noise because i know you know they they did some controversial ones in the past when they had the baker boys and uh you know you know it it always creates talk you know and i think that's what they want to do yeah, for the people that don't know, they they had like these big ass billboards of like, like big boy without a t shirt and like a rubber ducky, and like all across the city. It was, nuts. Yeah, the, it was the, nice one, the one that the one that made probably the biggest noise was there was these obsession uh, billboards that were out with like a guy or a girl, like or a guy just covered in a drape and that's it. Oh, the, the Calvin big Klein boy, cologne, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. So big boy <laughs> kind of copied that and. uh did that thing where you know he was basically naked and he had just a, a cover of it, you know, towards his you know bottom area and and he's posing and stuff like that and that's what created the, the probably the most noise. Yeah, it was nuts. You know, it was so funny. I never heard of Big Boy before. Being from New York, I didn't know who Big Boy was until Deuce Bigelow <laughs> using. Oh that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, who the yeah, fuck yeah. is this big fat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I saw, oh, he's a radio personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, but aside from, of course, the ra the radio, you know, again, me and him have built an incredible relationship. Uh, aside from radio and, and all, so again, uh, I mean, we've gone through a lot together, and um, if, if anything, I think me and him together, we've probably traveled the most together internationally. No, mm -hmm. oh. it's funny. It's funny you mentioned the radio wars, right? You hmm? said you were talking about the radio wars. And can you can you expand on time, that? Yeah. yeah. What what was what is that? Well, it's it, it, it at the time it was really more business. There was some business rivalries in regards to like, you know, at the end of the day, radio is a business, and uh, what generates revenue for radio stations or radio companies is ratings. And at the time when hip hop was just totally exploding in a great way, uh, you know, again there was only a few outlets. Um, Power in LA was was really the true outlet for hip hop. Just like at the time, New York Hot 97 was really the true outlet. Aside from maybe the occasional, you know, songs that would cross over, uh, there was really one place to get to get hip hop. And of course, there was no streaming platforms and any of that stuff at the time. Internet was around, but you know, that's what 
you know, what was happening. Like ratings for, for our stations were just through the roof. And in order to, to get a piece of the pie, they had to do something that would also, you know, take the competition, competition down in regards to the ratings. Because the higher the ratings you have, the more revenue you generate. So this was a specific so, time for LA, the radio wars. Uh, yeah, you know, honestly, for LA, it's always been there. Yeah, you know, even when I got in, there was the rivalry between uh, uh, Power One Hundred Six and the Beat Ninety Two Three, the Beat. Yeah, you know, there was that rivalry back then. Um, and then, um, you know, Power over the years experienced some various rivalries. Uh, aside from that, um, at one point, even K Day was trying to come after them when K Day came back on the FM dial. Um, the reggaeton station, when, it, when that kind of came, that tried to go up against power. Uh, even other stations like even Kiss at one point and, uh, and Amp, you know, even though that we don't share music per se, they became also competitors because we shared a lot of audience. So the only time I remember any kind of radio wars and never, I don't know if you remember this, was when Power, power 105 in New York, right, was going up against yeah. High 97. Yeah. But also, yeah. in the, back in the days in New York, it was the wars between, like, BLS, WBLS, yeah. And at the time, High 97 was just starting up. It was, like, between those three. Right, right. Basically, whenever a station well, BL, tried and, to, and like... BLS are now... BLS and, and Hot now are sister stations. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the same time, the difference, going back to, to the personalities, New York radio and New York, like, New York DJs, they're they outspoken. They will say whatever they want. They don't, they don't do that. <laughs> Whereas in... in, in in LA, we, we tend to be a little bit more cautious because I don't know if it's just because we have the relationships or perception, but we were just more cautious of what we said, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we never wanted to offend anyone. Don't you, know? you think, don't you think that's <laughs> Cali in general versus like New York in general? Yeah, well, definitely, definitely. definitely I mean, is. this is our approach that's on shit. We just say shit and then Cali is very like, kind of like, you know, they're not very uh, confrontational. Correct. Yeah. Right? No, you're right. Yeah, we're not. But but they will fucking bang on a motherfucker with the quickness. <laughs> that they will. They will. That is true. They will definitely do that, dude. You don't want to yep. get into that. Yep. So so wait, I was just saying, like, basically the only radio wars happen with like hip hop, right? Whenever a station wants to go into hip hop, a war starts. No, like, there. There's no, no like. No, I don't think so. No, really. No, you know what? At the end of the day, like, look, like for example, like I, I was wondering real, if like, like hip hop brought the shit out of it. Like, yo, it's time to go to war on some hip hop. <laughs> It goes back yeah, to the Howard Stern. Like when Howard Stern used to be put on um, Don Imus. Okay, okay, yeah. That yeah, was yeah, like yeah. kind of a war between those two. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, you, you do that. see you you do see it in other formats. They have uh, they have different ways of how they they create the rivalry. But I think with with hip hop, it's just a little bit more out front in that, right? I remember even when when Real came about, you know, they had promos on the air saying. You know the power is now out, and the power is over here now. Like they, they took shots. Yeah, they, they took some you know? shots, boy. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I was telling my boss, it's like we just got to continue to stay classy and stay focused. It's like why, like you know, my mentality is, you know, why, why create awareness and and let people know about something else that's in that in the market that they might not even know about. Man, fuck yeah. that classy shit. Fuck that shit. You know? <laughs> I know. It just depends. It, it, <laughs> it was depends. it was it was nuts because they had like. Big boy's face and be like, uh, same tenant, different neighborhood. And I was like, damn, the motherfuckers are just shooting shots at it. No, they were. I mean, yeah, but we we didn't do a lot of it at the time. And even a lot of people on my side wanted to do stuff, but no, they didn't. 
You know? Y'all must have been um, y'all must have been real pissed though, right? They were, were y'all yeah, must but, have been pissed but, though. Well, of course, I, I think there was. You know, I, again, I probably, if anything, I was probably the one who I, who probably had the most, um, probably the most hardest time, just because of my my personal connection with Big Boy, and also my personal connection with the radio station. So was Big Boy insulted, or did he feel some type of way when you didn't come with him? No, no, not at all. I think he, he, he totally understood. And he, he again, like he understood, he, he totally understood and not at all. Oh, wow. He, he has he had conversations and shit before all that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You, and and none, none of us were, none of us were blindsided. We, we, we you, always spoke. Were you being looked as a villain because you didn't go with Big Boy? Because you were kind of like the one that kind of just stayed behind. Probably. <laughs> I probably was. I probably was. And there's wow. some people who I, and, and, and you know, it's so crazy. I started seeing some of that in uh, in uh, in so- social media, and it was really more Twitter at the time. I was seeing more of it. Like people were just like, "You know, how come you didn't leave?" That I was more of the traitor and all this other stuff. I'm like, "Boy, what the hell?" <laughs> was, yeah, that it was, beat up here? was that you industry know? people saying that, or like regular listeners? No, no, no. That? That's, that was listeners. That was oh, listeners. Wow. Because again, the listeners, a lot of listeners don't know. They just know what they hear and what they see. Yeah. So again, I could say something on the radio that has that makes no sense or doesn't that, that's not true, and they'll believe it. You know, so again, it's just what they heard and saw. They just saw that, hey, that big boy left and that it's power's fault. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So again, it's just, that's just, you know, at the time, that's just what it was. So so then Jay Cruz took over and you, and you stayed in the mornings with Jay Cruz in 2015, yes. right? Yes. And then, and then Nick Cannon took over because Jay Cruz left last year, right? Yes. Uh, similar situation happened. Um, again, um, iHeart. Um, Basically, iHeart keeps taking all of y'all fucking DJs at Power 106 in the morning, right? Well, they, did that, they did that in New York. Let me think about it. They did that in New York. They did that in New York. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, they, uh, but basically, yeah. Um, they, at the time, you know, Cruz was in, uh, you know, Cruz had morning show. And, uh, you know, there was some business issues that, that were being handled. And at the time, iHeart came in and just said hey you know we want to we want to give you an opportunity at, at at their station and again at the end of the day it's, it's always business decisions and uh it, it was tough to be honest with you. they uh, you know when he left or when when that team left i was you know i was the i was the interim program director at the time because jimmy Steele left some months before two months before that and i was named the interim program director i wasn't permanent yet so you were number one title. but you were number one Yes, I was. You was the acting so, king, right? Uh, the- <laughs> at that, at that, you were meant some respect at that at that time. Yeah, at that, at, the at, captain at that time. now. But, uh, I remember. <laughs> Look at me. I remember the day very well, though. Um, I remember I had to fly out of town. This was the day after Nipsey's funeral. Oh shit! I flew back out of town, and they were like, "Yo, yeah, we, we got to holla at you." And you know, I thought anything much of it. I was like, "Okay, cool." I land at twelve noon. I was coming from Miami from meetings, and. uh I said, I landed at noon. I should be back at, at the station by one-ish or so. And then from there, they sat down and we, we kind of spoke and they just kind of broke it to me and they just said, it was, well, it's just time, time to go. And, uh, you know, That's there was crazy. no love loss or anything. Again, like, you know, it was, it was a business decision they felfelt they had to do. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's what happened. And then, of course, I got put into a unique situation where it's like, okay, I don't have a morning show. Now I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, and... Nick Cannon is uh, first off before before anything an incredible friend. I've known him for many years. We have an incredible relationship, 
And uh, which which Nick Cannon are you cool with? The regular Nick Cannon <laughs> or the Turban Nick Cannon? Oh, there's two different motherfuckers, right? Oh no, the Nick, Nick Cannon, Cannon with the Turban's a little different, one. no? <laughs> a little bit, you know. But but Nick Cannon at the end of the day, Nick Cannon is just Nick Cannon to me. And uh, but I'm friends with both of them. How's that? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you cool with the drumline, Nick Cannon? Wait, wait, yeah. What, what happened? I was, I was cool with pre Gigolo. Nickelodeon. You did all that. Yeah. So there's but, so many Nick uh, Cannons. I'm, I can't keep right. track of. Yo. Gigolo. But, um, he reached Gigolo. out to me when 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 they when they got announced um, on the iHeart side that they got Jay Cruz. I remember Nick Cannon reached out to me and he was like, "E, are you okay? I'm just checking on you because he knew that you know I was going through some." So it was pretty stressful. Yeah. And he saw that. So he was just like, yo, like, you know, I was like, yeah, it's pretty hectic. So um, he has an office also in Burbank. So I went to go see him and we went to go chop it up. And, you know, I was just telling him like, you know, what my, what I now I got to do. And then he was just like, well, won't you consider me? I'm like, nah, nah, I'm good. Only because I knew how busy he was and mm -hmm. I knew how, what his schedule was like. And I was like, you know, I appreciate it, but I, I don't think it's going to work. You know what you do? He goes, no, no, won't you seriously consider me? So, uh, I always tell people it was a conversation that led into a negotiation that led to a confirmation. Wow. So mm -hmm. after, you know, conversations we've had and conversations I had with my, with my bosses at the time, I mean, we're still my bosses now, but we, we kind of made it work and fast forward to now, like, like this guy, like he's, he's on fire doing everything. And at the time I was really iffy cause I knew he just launched the mass singer. He had his Walden out. I know I heard about talks of you know, him trying to put together his talk show. Um, he was just doing a lot. And I, I just wasn't sure if he was able to to handle this. And when we kind of worked everything out, and this guy is on fire. I mean, from, of course, his radio station show at Power. And now, he, you know, I also work with him on the syndicated radio shows. Yeah. So now he's doing that. I mean, if anything, this was like the perfect piece to his puzzle because this is what completes him. Mm -hmm. He did radio before in New York. He, he had a radio show in New York. But I felt at the time it was the wrong city. It was the wrong time and it was in the wrong format because he was more on a, on a pop radio station. What station was it in New York? It was the Amp station in New York. Uh, I think it was, I think they were called Amp 90. I think they were 923 as well. They were their frequency. Yeah. Okay. Correct. But um, I just felt like back then he just wasn't at the right platform. And him doing it in L.A., he's from Southern Cal. He was born in San Diego, who grew up in L.A., you know, a lot of his stuff was more connected to the sound of hip hop and, and just hip hop culture in general. Of course, Walden Out was just on fire. Mm -hmm. It just kind of made sense. And once we put it all together and it happened, you know, it's it's a continued working process. But this guy's on fire, and uh, you know, props to Nick not just as a friend, but just for him as a as a business person. Again, like I said, this completes his whole puzzle. What he's doing, TV host now, uh, host of probably one of the biggest you know reality game shows right now with the Mass Singer. He has the biggest, you know, um, comedy sketch show on, on TV with, with Wallen Out, mm -hmm. yeah. urban comedy sketch show from, uh, from what he says. And I read an article not, not that long ago that that's worth what half a billion dollars now, that, that whole oh, wow. Wallen Out. Wow. And then again, just having the radio aspect, like this totally completes it. I remember hearing before uh, Cruz accepted the morning show that he was even cons considered back then. Was that true? Like after Big Boy left, he was considered for the morning show? I mean, there was some talk, but I, I don't know because I wasn't as involved on the programming aspect uh -huh. uh, in regards to that decision. I was just more of focused on 
the two things at the time when Big Boy left, I was asked, of course, still focus on the music of the station and just focus on still doing a show. Yeah. So I was still mixing on the morning show, just didn't know what we were doing. Jay Cruz was just temporarily a fill-in at yeah. the time when, when he came in. And then, it, again, it then became permanent. But I, I, D-Miles, I can't truly answer that because I don't know the true story. If, if Nick, I heard Nick was, 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 his name was thrown in there, but I don't know truly if it was at the time. Yeah. Do you think your relationship with him was uh, kind of like the la the last straw for him to like say let's go ahead and do it like that kind of helped for Nick yeah I think so I think that had a lot to do with it to be honest with you and uh, again Nick Nick's a, is a genuinely good guy and you know he you know it, I, I I don't want I hope this doesn't sound weird or anything but I don't think he would be doing this if I wasn't there mm. I, I don't think I, I think it's the conversation and and, and and you know he told me he's like look if you're there I, I got you let's make this work yeah. And, and again, I, he also knows the, the, no pun intended, but he knows the power of Power 106 and the platform. It, it's, regardless, it's still a legendary brand in, in the hip hop culture and also in, in LA culture. Yeah. It's funny because right before he joined the morning show at Power 106, he was doing a podcast and I think he was kind of going viral with these interviews with like Dame Dash, remember? And they were yeah, like yeah, talking yeah, about- Yeah, I think he, we still do, just the, are you talking about the Cannons Class one? Yeah, Candace class, and it was just he was yeah. just going viral because he was asking Dame Dash about Aaliyah, and I forgot. I remember it was like some <laughs> crazy R. shit, and R. Kelly. Yeah, and then so like it, it, we were like, oh shit, he's gonna like do like this kind of like edgy podcast hip hop shit, and then mm -hmm. I guess a few months later, you know, he was doing the morning show. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like it kind of aligns well, though. Is the morning show as far as the programming director? Is that is that what takes like the most attention? No, absolutely. Um, in in Terrestrial radio, which we call terrestrial radio, uh, morning shows tend to be the, the, the biggest show to, to kick off really not just today, but it's where a lot of the, the main stars are on, 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 on the stations. Like you have, of course, Big Boy at Real. You have Ryan Seacrest um, on Kiss FM. You have Nick Cannon on, on Power 106. And even local stars, like you have like Woody. I mean, he was obviously big on the alternative rock. You know, he, he's, yeah, he has the morning shows, but, um, and there's other ones too locally here, but uh, mornings tend to be that, that, that biggest stage um, afternoons is is the second one uh, on on the radio and afternoons like because of the high highest concentration of, of listening and, and people in the cars like LA is, is so much of a commuter town and a lot of our listening comes from in the car right and those are the times where people are mostly in the cars right now on Power One Hundred Six you got Nick Cannon you got Felly Fell you got Charisma and then you have the liftoff with the LA Leakers so, just incredible yeah, so and Sour you, Milk right. Yes, yeah, so you have Nick Cannon. He has uh, two co-hosts, and he has DJ Charisma as his DJ. Mm -hmm. And then I have uh, Brianna, who's uh, newer to the team. She she's our midday host. And then you have Felly Fell in the afternoons, and then you have uh, the Leakers. You have Justin and Milk at kind of late night. night. Yeah, like seven p.m. Seven p.m. to midnight. And do they have the most freedom, the Leakers, or for the liftoff show? Uh, freedom in regards to breaking more newer music. Uh, yes. Uh, but we have features uh, that, that we do that showcase a lot of it. Um, you know, we have something that we call the new at two every day at 2 p.m. where at two o'clock it's Felly Fell and Brianna where they play two hot new songs in, in prime time back to back. Yeah. You know, we have, uh, you know, obviously our mix shows that we have throughout the day, you know, highlight some of the new music. And then we have a new at night show, which is two hours of nothing but new music, not rotation or anything. It's nothing but two hours of straight music. 
and that's hosted by Justin Credible. So recently, I've been noticing the LA Leakers more on my social media. Maybe it's because I follow Justin Credible and Sour Milk, but I've been yeah, noticing. Friends, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, yeah. but for the first time, and I could be wrong, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe in the last few years, I've been noticing like rappers looking forward to being on the Leakers show and freestyling. And it used to kind yes. of be, that used to be kind of something that happened maybe more in New York, like on Hot 97 with Flex. And then it, it really started kind of be kind of coming a thing in LA on, uh, LA, yes. on Power 106. Well, in the past, even when I started, you know, they've had freestyle things. This is before Justin. Right. There was always, you know, features or segments that, that had freestyling. And even, you know, you know, the Baker boys had the roll call and they had people that would come up and do some freestyles or they would do, you know, they would some battle people as well. Even Big Boy, who's an incredible freestyler, he would freestyle off the top mm -hmm. at times. But with the leakers, um, that really was at the time just trying to find more content for digital because we started seeing digital become a, a more important factor in that complemented uh, what you do on air. So our, our thing was like on air and online. And online obviously meant anything on YouTube or social media and all that. So that's when they started with their, you know, doing these little freestyles. And then that just led to many things. The one that really elevated the freestyle feature that they have was the one with Belly. Mm -hmm. And and Belly, again, we knew Belly, you know, as the artist and what he was doing as a writer. But people at the time didn't maybe take Belly seriously because of his connection with The Weeknd and the whole Exocamp. Right. But that freestyle alone really showcased his true talent. And it also showcased what the freestyle feature that, that the Leakers had was about. Right. Because their goal, you know, also for the Leakers was to show, you know, there will be artists that you don't think are freestylers who can. And that thing just elevated to, you know, a whole nother level when you have people like Jay-Z and Eminem and Diddy and so many artists now referring to them as, uh, you know, as that feature as one of the top freestyle uh, sessions or, or content and and it was always either now leakers what flex is doing in new york and again it gives the opportunity for people to see who they are aside from you know just rapping because you know as you know hip-hop especially has evolved in so many sounds and the sound of hip-hop today you know some people might not be taking it seriously they don't take some of these artists seriously mm -hmm. and when they could have someone like a, a juice world on there that people don't take seriously as, as a lyricist or a rapper, this guy freestyles. And next thing you know, you know, people are talking about his freestyling. If anything, that's just, that just kind of shows sometimes the talents, the true talents that these, these artists have. Yeah. I, I remember that belly freestyle and it actually made me take notice of like the, the freestyles on the LA leakers, the liftoff show. Yeah. And it yep. really went viral because I mean, it was like probably the height of belly's career at that time yeah probably, probably he had now, a massive right? song yeah he had he had a massive song with that might not record with with the weekend mm -hmm. and he just needed something to elevate him again as that artist and that's that's what did it yeah. and again like i said what they did with their with the freestyles to this day they they created this brand with it and the credibility of that feature that again you have even legendary artists who who are freestyling on it i mean like like they had they had Common on it. Mm -hmm. Common wanted to jump on it, you know? So yeah. Royce the Five Nine. Right. Yeah, Royce was five nine. Yeah. Some Royce, great one. Yeah, yes. Royce dropped an ill one. I remember uh yeah. Young MA dropped an ill fucking one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Jada Kiss. Jada Kiss, Pop Jada Smoke. Kiss. Pop yeah. Smoke did they had it. Yeah, yeah, Pop Smoke. 
yeah, that's the thing. That was a great look for for Pop Smoke as well, too. Yeah. Again, like like this again. What I um, it just showcases the the many talents of of a lot of these artists. Yeah, Pop Smokes was pretty good, and it was at the right time because LA wasn't too um, known to his music. Because I remember I tried to play Pop Smokes records way before it broke in LA, and it, yep. it was a dud, and it, it didn't work. But once he got the LA LA leaker stamp and that freestyle off. It was a whole, yeah, everybody was on Pop Smoke now. E-Man, I want to actually talk about you as a DJ because the first time I heard you DJ, I was in New York for Sujit's birthday. Sujit, uh, from, <laughs> Sujit the, uh, from Scam Artist Management. Artist I, Management. I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a, a scam story. I don't know if you know this, but. You're technically uh, one of the first scam artist DJs ever I signed. Was, I, was his, I was his first scam artist DJ. <laughs> wow. <laughs> before Vice and before all of them. So I was I his first scam artist most DJ. Don't know are, you, are you proud of that? I wouldn't be proud of that. Are you proud of that? <laughs> 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 he, he, no, no comment. No comment. He, 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 <laughs> keeps that shit, he keeps it on a low. He keeps that shit on a low. <laughs> nah, you know what? Um, you know, and Sujit, obviously, as you know, I mean, he's became a, a great, great friend, but um, really, the reason I had to separate with him is, if you remember back then in New York, there was a uh, there was a lawyer. I forgot who it was. There was a lawyer who was trying to run for governor, and he uh, he decided to pick on the music industry and that whole payola shit. And they felt like just to be safe. And I never played that game. I, I don't ever play that game because it's morally wrong. But they just felt like that. Um, because at the time Sujit was involved with, with a record company as well, and he was also managing my gigs, they just felt like that it might be considered a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. So it was either I had to, you know, relinquish my music duties and just be a DJ on air and be managed by Sujit or stay as a music director, but I would have to let, I would have to let him go as my manager. So, you know, I mean, we both understood, and even on his end too, like there was some, you know, they, they felt like that it was a, a conflict of interest, even though we were doing obviously everything right, the right, right. way. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why we, we parted ways. I you were I remember I was in New York. It was his birthday. It was, you know his his annual his annual uh, big event 20. birthdays where yeah. everyone flies in. And I think it was at yeah. Tao Restaurant. It was like yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I was. I think that was my first show scam. Well, my right. first dinner, Sujit's dinner. But yeah, I remember that. And I remember. Uh, you know, obviously hanging with the, the homies, we're all having dinner at Tao, and the music was just so fucking good. It was Everybody like, thought it was a, a CD or a tape playing because it, yeah. like, it, <laughs> it, it was, was like it was flawless, and it was like it was like it was classics. It was like rising to the top. It was like uh, you know Mary Jane. Uh, yeah. And, but then it was going into like hip hop and like '90s shit, and like mm -hmm. playing like Helter Skelter. And we were just like, yo, what the fuck? Like, who the fuck is DJing right now? It was, like, so good. And I'll never forget it because, you know, like, you know when you're eating and you don't really notice the music. I mean, DJs, we always notice the music. But yeah. I really, like, enjoyed my meal with, like, everyone I was with because the music was so good. We were like, yo, remember this? And we were, like, eating. We were, like, really enjoying They're like, yo, it's it's a, it's E-Man. And I'm like, I'm who, like, who the fuck is E-Man? I never heard of E-Man before, you know? Because we're all basically from New York and ignorant yeah. as fuck but i never forgot that name because i was so impressed by what you did and then later i found well, out you. that you were like you know on the radio and you were doing mix shows and all of these things and and you've actually been on a, a few tours and you've dj'd for a few artists but you know again just even djing for for like 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 you asked you know even over the years just djing for for many people i think one of my favorite stories was djing for mariah 
from Mariah Carey. Wow. Um, it's funny. His Her music director was Randy Jackson, who obviously you know from American Idol. So I knew Randy before all this American Idol stuff. But, um, but there was one time when Mariah, um, and I developed a great relationship with, with her as well, but she wanted to take me on tour for her Emancipation uh, of Mimi tour. Wow. And I, I couldn't go because I was on the radio every day. I was the music director and it was really tough to go away for almost, I think it was like three to four months. And uh, so Randy Jackson brought me into the studio and said, okay, you know, so we can't take you. Let's lay down all your tracks, all your cutting tracks, this, that, to, to these various songs and stuff like that. So the, the band could play along with some of the stuff that you're doing. So that's how I got a chance to DJ for her. And, and I got a chance to DJ with her on TV on the American Music Awards. Uh, wow. When she performed, she had that remix for uh, Thank God I Found You. She had that remix with Nas and Joe where it oh, was yeah. uh, Key Sweat to make it last forever. <laughs> so I got a chance to perform with her on TV. But I've done definitely done some stuff for her. And uh, again, it's so funny you know, when, when her and Nick end up getting married. And, you know, I was like in my head, I was like, damn, I'm good friends with both of them. And, and it was honestly, it was almost like the best of both worlds because uh, you know, I got a chance to experience a lot of great things when they were married at the time. You know, I've been to their kid's birthday party. It's still them. Uh, but, you know, even when they were married, I, I you know, went to their home. You know, several times played some basketball there and you know, went to their Christmas party and a lot of things. So, did she sing the Christmas song at their Christmas party? It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. She actually performed something. John Legend was there too. So, they were performing something at this Christmas party because they were kind of, it was like half tape for TV and there was just half all family just hanging out and friends hanging out and stuff like that. So, damn. Mm. So, it's yeah. kind of legendary. Yeah. But, but with Mariah, um, at the end of the day, like when I see her, like it's just, it's, we love just to talk. We just hang and talk and, you know, she loves wine. I love wine. It was one time I, I saw her at, at, at an event at her, at her house. And, and I felt bad because there was other people that was there that was there to see her, but she just wanted to just keep talking and talking. At one point I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll just be here hanging out. Just go ahead, go talk to other people. And she would, and she'll come right back. And it's funny. Like we started talking about wine and she out of nowhere, I don't know how she would tell someone and she'll bring me a bottle of wine. And I always, and I would say, Hey, you know, usually when I have wine, then she goes, how do you like your wine? I go, usually I have it with cheese and crackers and all that stuff. 15 minutes later, someone's coming with cheese and crackers. Like, yo, how are you telling me? <laughs> <this show?"> oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nah, but, but again. Must be nice. Must be nice. Must be nice. You know what it we is. Get it. We get it. We get it, man. Nah. Your life is way better than ours. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you exactly. What, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Obviously in, in the, the position I'm in, I, I get the opportunity to meet a lot of people and uh, get a chance to, you know, just kind of know them. And obviously they know who I am and yeah, you develop business relationships or business acquaintances with them, but there's also some that become friends. And, and I could say that, you know, I, I've been able to develop some, some great friendships with, with a lot of people aside from just, you know, the business aspect of it. And yeah. Ryan was definitely one of them. Nick, obviously I knew Nick before he <clears throat> became, you know, the Nick Cannon that we, we all know now, but again, that's just what it is. It's, and at the end of the day, they all just want to be, treated just like us you know i don't treat them as you know mariah carey the the star i treat her as mariah carey the person i don't know how that's possible but but uh it is do, it, it is do you ever regret not being able to go on that tour for three months no you know what's so crazy there's a lot of things i probably could have uh that i don't say regret but maybe i i kind of thought about imagine if i would have just said hey let me focus more as a dj and not the music director side 
Yeah. I could be doing, I could have been exactly what vice was at, at that mm-hmm. time. You know, I could have been probably, you know, doing a lot more traveling and, and, and stuff. Cause you know, um, I, I had those opportunities there, but I just felt like that. I, and at the time I just had a baby, my first daughter. And I started thinking maybe in the long term, it might be better for me to focus more on, on something more stable because at the same time, you know, DJing, I hate to say that it was unstable, but I didn't know where it was going to lead, mm-hmm. you know, cause it was about, it was about the clubs and, and stuff. And I didn't know what nightlife was going to be back then. We're yeah. talking about early two thousands. I was going to bring that up. Like I was going to ask like the yeah. fact that you do have a family you're married and you have, you have children. Does that factor in heavily to a lot of, a lot of these decisions? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause even, even though our industry isn't stable, I just felt at the time the job was a little bit more stable than the DJing because I knew the music director job was there. The DJing, I just don't know when a gig would come or come up. Or I don't know, you know, if I would have stayed with Studio, how many gigs I would have had. And at the same time, when I was doing mornings, it was hard to do, you know, gigs during the week. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, Sujit at the time was saying, hey, I got a club for you on a Thursday night or Wednesday night. It's like, yeah, but I'm on the air at 5 a.m. That's going to be really tough. Yeah. You know? So, but yes, to, to answer your question, it was I, the family decision factored big time in it. When did you stop, uh, like, I noticed, well, I was talking to uh, D and Jamie, like, when did you, uh, when did you start backing off from, like, doing the mixed shows in the morning, like, every morning? When, uh, when Nick Cannon came on, and they were already offering me the position, um, and honestly, when I took the position in the interim, I did step down from DJing, in regards to on-air. When that you was took, when you took the position for the program content director of well, when i got named interim when 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 jimmy still left the standing I already took myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> i already <laughs> i kind of i kind of stepped down and i had dj fuse um take over mornings from the interim until, mm-hmm. until something was permanent and then you know obviously jay uh jay cruz left uh nick cannon came in i kicked it off with him for a couple of weeks and then when, when they were going to offer me the job, that's when I said, you know what? I had two stations, plus I knew about the third station that was going to come about. I knew it was going to be very tough to do any kind of mixing on air, especially in mornings. Because mm. the hours I had, even when I wasn't on the air, I was, I was at the station more than 12 hours a day. What are you I have to mix in the mornings. Can you explain your job, like program content director for Power 106, 93.5 K-Day, and now Reggaeton Station, 93.9 Cali? Like, what does this entail? What is, you wake up at what time? You go home at what time? What do you have to monitor? Uh, what do you oversee? Who are you firing? T- you know, who, who, who are you? T- <laughs> well, <laughs> I will tell you that, um, you know, I have... And I did this count not that long ago. This is like prior to all the COVID shit. Um, I oversee 58 people. Hmm. And that is everyone from mix show DJs, honor personalities, to the board operators, to my behind the scenes internal staff for three for the two to three stations. So those are the people that, that I, I had to that really reported to me. And um, and that's a lot because what I'm really doing now is managing them. And I'm helping them shine. And, uh, and again, each person, you know, each person feels like they, you know, they need their time and attention mm-hmm. as well from me. And I just felt like that my, my, really, my, my motto was just let me put my people in front of me before me. So I had to make that decision and said, you know, in order to give you my full time, 
I, I definitely have to take off from from the mixing and DJing. And I do think that's gonna. I mean, I mean, it's gonna the DJing element's gonna come back little by little. Once I finally started getting my groove, and especially with times now, like you know, I'm looking to at least getting back on the air once a week. But you're also still doing nightclubs, right? Because I know you was doing them. Um, you had a monthly residency at Light. Yeah, you know the um, shout out to the whole Light team and stuff. Um, I was in Vegas at least once a month. You know, I had I had the residency with Trey at, at Dre's and uh, Light. I had the you know they were bringing me back once a month as well. And then um, really, um, I had other opportunities to do other stuff, but it was my choice to be like, you know, it's probably time for me to just slow it down. And let me just focus on on some of the gigs I can do. Really, obviously over the weekends, but I just had to kind of choose my gigs kind of wisely. So, and, and I really slowed down the local stuff because local stuff was during the week. It was impossible to, to give that time. You um, did you still enjoy doing nightclubs? Love it, especially especially internationally. Um, my last big gigs before we all had to shut down uh, was when I, uh, I DJed in Thailand and the Philippines. That was oh, like right at the end on. of the year. Yeah. And was honestly, I, lo I, I love DJing internationally. To me, like, that's what I look forward to because obviously you know djing in japan and that was even when internet wasn't like crazy like that or, or mp3s and all that stuff that really showed me that this world is a smaller place and that music is truly a universal language because the 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 people in japan they loved every song that we played but did not speak a lick of english <laughs> they sang along to the lyrics mm -hmm. they knew everything about the music but when you when and they were so grateful so even after we i was done djing or we were done performing they would applause they would want to come shake your hand um and when you talk to them it wasn't they couldn't speak english mm -hmm. but they knew the lyrics they knew everything about it they sang along to every word it was crazy wow. that's why i say music is a, is a universal language and again going to the various cities or countries you know i got a chance to to really experience and, and see what they like. And again, with the internet now and how everything is, you know, everyone has very, very similar tastes and likes, especially when it comes to the music and the clubs. I don't want to say we're rocking exactly the same music, but there's a lot of similarities. Have you noticed the way people are like consuming music nowadays? Because like you said, the, the radio is, is really kind of relying on drive times. And during this pandemic, like how have you guys, yes. how have you guys basically, shifted your attention or how have you like you know what i mean because did you have to kind of push more digital content for socials during this pandemic and then like how yeah, are, we, we you yeah. know and then and, and we, also a two-part question like how are you guys sure. running the station like obviously the stations have been closed and people have been working from home or i don't know how that works sure well first off when 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 this pandemic just really started, people didn't know what to do and know what to expect, um, especially on our end. We didn't know what was happening. And then when they started shutting down schools, they started shutting down businesses and we started seeing traffic like totally like going away and people staying home. We're like, okay, we got to shift gears and emphasize on, I mean, we were already doing this, but we had to emphasize more on listening to us through our, our streaming platforms, which mm -hmm. is our app, which is our website and even smart speakers. Smart speakers were, were ways to, to get us uh, in regards to what we're doing on the air. And people were still listening to us on the radio in the cars, even though it was light listening uh, or lighter, you know, people driving. Um, but also social media and even YouTube. We had to continue to tell people, experience us through here, experience us through there. And it took us a while to really understand what was going on. 
And we had to make adjustments too, because even when everything kind of went down, I had to send people home. Um, I will start with us, our mix show DJs. Right before they started shutting things down, a good percentage of my DJs, I'm going to say two thirds of my DJs were still traveling. And the weekend I had to stop all mix shows, live mix shows, and say, guys, I, I have to put you all in quarantine. I had a DJ that was on the plane out in the East Coast DJ. I had two DJs that were uh, in uh, in San Francisco, coming back from San Francisco, that had the second highest cases that were being found of, of COVID. <laughs> I had a DJ who was flying back from DJing on a cruise ship for 10 days. Oh and I had gosh. to shut all mix shows down for the health of, and the well-being of everyone around. Wow. So and, and I had to quarantine everyone for 14 days. And I had to shut it all down because they were the ones who were exposed the most. Even the ones that were flying from Vegas or other parts of the country, they're all on planes. And, and they were coming from areas too, like I said, that, that were that we saw that the cases were high. So unfortunately, I had to shut that down. And even with my personalities that are on the air now, they all were had to send breaks in first or they had to broadcast from their homes. And then we created an environment to where it was very safe. No one's at the radio station. And the only people that was coming to the station was uh, the people who were on the air. And we had to create a platform or create it to where now technology-wise, I run the radio stations and, and the boards from my house. Wow. So anytime that I have to control something on each station, there's no one there. Um, in, the, in the late nights or on the weekends, I control everything from the house. Really? And again, this is, <laughs> yeah. So this is all really for the safety and, and well-being of, of everyone. And then unfortunately, of course, the business aspect kind of came in because with, with businesses shutting down, businesses couldn't advertise. They couldn't right. do anything. Right. So uh, obviously as their revenue got shut, you know, we rely a lot on advertising and that got shut down or that got that totally slowed down because there was just nothing anyone could promote. No one could promote or advertise for a concert or a movie that's coming out or come to my restaurant to eat and, and mm -hmm. all these. Other yeah, I heard about a couple of radio stations in like Arizona or something that actually shut down that like. That yeah, those radio. Well, unfortunately, Crooked, there was a lot of radio stations and radio station companies that had to furlough people they had to lay off people mm -hmm. and there are some like you heard like you said that actually went off the air right uh but a market like la you have still millions of people listening we also saw that you know amidst all this you know quarantine and the covid stuff we were still something which i call escapism people still needed something to do aside from looking at social media looking at youtube they still needed to look for something that were in it that would entertain them mm -hmm. and we were their way to continue to entertain them so once we kind of adjusted and pivoted and, and understood like who was listening at what times we, we had to make those adjustments and still at the end of the day, we still are entertaining, not just through the music, but through the content that we do. When do you, people are still looking forward to us. When do you think you guys are going to open up again? I think it all depends on what the governor here in LA or I'm sorry, the governor in California and the mayor in LA kind of really truly opens up the city overall. I know this uh, on the weekend of the, this weekend they're starting gradual they're doing some coffee shops doing some libraries doing some stuff but they're still very strict policies they're starting to open up some beaches right. um and i know the weekend of may 15 they're going to open up a few more things but mm -hmm. um it's going to be uh i think it's going to be a while i think once kids are back in school fully people are really back going to work um i don't i really don't know if we'll go back to a true norm until another six months or so. Really? So you don't think anybody, you don't think anyone's going to go back to the station for another six months? 
No, I think we're going to, again, depending on what rules and policies are put out there by, by the mayor and the governor, I think yeah. it'll be little by little. It'll okay. be little by little. I mean, we're still on the air. We're still have our talent on the air doing what they're doing, but it's going to be, it's going to be gradual. And it just really depends again, because once you open up the cities, there's still people who have the cases and, and it just depends on how each person and each individual handles themselves and, and how they keep themselves safe because there still truly is no cure. Mm-hmm. There's no vaccine right. and people are going to, um, are still prone to, to spreading this. So it just depends on how we handle it. So we really won't know for the next really few weeks what's going to happen or a couple of weeks. But to answer your question, I don't know if in the next three, six months, what's truly going to happen until people really get back. With all, with all the advances of technology right now, do you think it's necessary for radio stations or a lot of other businesses to, you know, is it possible for the people to work there, uh, to work from home? Do you know Yes, I, mean? I think that, yeah. I think we're, again, what we've developed over these, these weeks where we have the capability to broadcast from home. But again, a lot of our talent, they, they love coming in and they, just, right. they still feel like that, that vibe is there and, and they love talking to the listeners, even though they could do the same thing from home. But there's just a vibe with, with coming into the building and into, into that studio. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're, we're just limited to just them on, on the air mm-hmm. that's coming in. Um, and there's no more than just select individuals that, that are um, that, that are um, actually in the studio at one point or at one time. As, as far as your after this pandemic and uh, all the adjustments that you guys had to make in operations, and how do you look at radio? The future of radio right now, because there's just so well, many there's just so many streaming platforms out right now. You're and, absolutely right. You know, I, and it was it was already something that we saw. That is definitely a competitor yeah. because, especially with this younger audience, mm-hmm. you know, if you see in streaming platforms, the biggest genre that streams is hip hop. Right. All driven by a younger audience, and we have seen that you know this younger audience. Um, doesn't use radio as often or as much. It still is. I, I get it. It just depends on your city. But the biggest advantage of LA is because it is a commuter town and because of the population and the number of people that are in the cars. That And what we've been able to do, we've still shown that radio is still an important factor. And you are getting something that streaming platforms and other platforms might not give you. We give you live. We give you local. We mm-hmm. give you community. You know, in, on streaming platforms, yeah, it's on-demand music, but you don't get a lot of the content that we bring from interviews to artists to, to if it's gossip or to just other things. We kind of like almost that, you know, all-in-one place to, to get uh, this stuff. But I think the advantage is live, local, and community. Three biggest things that radio still has. And I think it's still funny that a lot of new artists, even though they claim they don't care about radio, you know, they do kind of care about radio. Like you Absolutely. Know? Absol- I'll tell you what it is. You could be a brand-new artist – and you could be like, yo, my song is on every streaming platform. It's on YouTube. It's on Spotify. It's on Pandora. It's on mm-hmm. Apple Music. Okay, cool. But you're one of maybe 20,000 songs that just came out. Whereas on the radio, a lot of artists especially love it because you have someone validating that your song is dope. Mm-hmm. You have someone saying, yo, hot new music now from this artist. Check it out. So radio has been perceived as like if i'm on tv like dad, mom dad i made it on tv right i'm on the radio they see it as like yo i made it because someone's talking about me on the radio someone's talking about my song they're saying that this is my hot song yeah you, someone could say oh yeah i'm you know I'm, I'm i'm you know premiered on this you know on this channel on you know on, on spotify or this at this or i'm on someone's playlist but it's not the same as mm-hmm. someone saying yo this is hot this is my like your shit's hot or my song is hot 
and you're hitting like a wider demographic of people pretty much from all ages or wide like from mm. like you know very young to like maybe 50s 60s 70s absolutely yeah. it's the difference of, yeah it's the difference between being on spotify to the radio as like being yeah. on youtube and like yep. basic like tv network tv pretty yep. much right no absolutely yeah and you know what when you're on tv your your goal obviously is to entertain an audience and that's something i tell my djs and my personalities especially my make show djs and i tell them it's really no crazy different from when you're at the nightclub if you're a dope dj at a nightclub you're rocking the crowd even as a dj as you four you want to make sure that people are having a good time. You love the fact that people are singing along to your songs. You love people are grooving and having a great time to what you're doing. So imagine if you play music that people are like clearing the dance floor. They don't like what you're what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that you might that gives you the perception of like, oh damn, people aren't liking or feeling what I'm doing. How different is that in radio? If you're not playing something those people want to hear that they're enjoying, it's easy for them not to walk away. It's easy to hit a, a button and just go to another radio station or to go away. Yeah. So. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that you're doing the right thing or you're doing something wrong. It's just that we, we know it when we, when we see it in regards to ratings. or I, There's obviously tools now that can see how people tune in and tune out of what you're doing on the air. But again, like I said, at the end of the day, we're entertaining an audience. It's just that you don't see the audience. There's millions of people that listen. You just don't see it. In the clubs, we, obviously, or even on IG Live, you'll, you'll see the people that are viewing you. Or at a club, you'll see the hundreds or maybe a thousand people that are, that are rocking with you just in radio yeah you're in a room with maybe another dj across the way but that's millions thousands of people that are listening to you yeah email we had philly fell on on the show maybe last summer and one thing that he said that stuck out to me was if you have your song on like a soundcloud or spotify you genuinely don't know who's listening at what time with radio you know for sure there's hundreds of thousands of people listening to your music at that very moment mm -hmm. oh, absolutely. And that, that in itself absolutely. is like yeah. extremely powerful for an artist to know that you have potentially millions of people listening at once no absolutely uh, again i we feel like even though there is competition in regards to streaming platforms and youtube and uh, satellite radio to so many other platforms radio still again is still is still massive and it's a free it's a free platform <laughs> spotify sure. you still play satellite you still pay um i mean i know it's not like that currently but it's still a free platform so I kind of have a, a a bone to pick with Power 106 a little bit. I want to talk okay. about. <laughs> sure. During the uh, EDM era, you guys yes. kind of switched genres. Like so, basically in 2008, there was like an electro movement. 2009, it, it, was. Went, it went to like a jerk movement, and then by yes. 2010, there was like an EDM movement, right? Yes. And then. Hip hop kind of came back around in 2013 for LA with like 2013 with like Tyga, Ty Dolla Sign, YG, and Mustard. But there was yep. a there was a point where you guys and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Please like educate me. I sure. felt that you guys were like a hip hop station, right? And or, yes. or what would you call it? Urban rhythmic station, right? We're, we're we were we're a hip hop station. We were considered rhythmic uh, a rhythmic hip hop station. Can you explain rhythmic and with like urban? I mean, it's like a mixture of top 40 and urban if that makes any sense and okay. that's a format in radio they call rhythmic i know the average listener doesn't know what that means but how dated really are, how dated sounds. are these terms though like urban sounds horrible right now right in 2020 it, it, it is dated <laughs> but you know what's crazy it's still but it's still used in the music industry so it's just really more strictly urban um, uh, urban is like music related industry terms and yeah. music industry terms but uh but at the time the edm sound um 
some of it had some hip hop in it and we never changed our position, mm-hmm. but we incorporated some of the sounds. And uh, if you look at even the electro movement, which is kind of dancing, you ask someone like Pitbull, Far East Movement, LMFAO, Flowrider, mm-hmm. you ask them the type of artists they are, they're going to say we're hip hop artists, we're rap artists, even the black IPs. Then you go to, then you have sounds like what Calvin Harris, Steve Aoki, um, these Afrojack, some of these DJs are doing, though they're doing some EDM sounds and songs, they do incorporate some hip hop. Steve, Steve Aoki had the joint with Kidding. Yeah. You know, Calvin Harris ended up doing the, the is it, yeah, the Cuba, the Cuba joint with Big Sean. Mm-hmm. So there was also a sound, and we did showcase it in our mix shows. It never took over the rotation. Some of it did, but um, we still played hip hop and we did incorporate some of the EDM sounds, but we tried to make sure that the EDM sound still had some type of hip hop to it. Sometimes it didn't, but we let it live a little bit more in our mix shows. But we didn't ever, we never let it truly dominate. And we did have a show at the time called Power Tools, which uh, Richard Humpty Vision showcased every Saturday night. Nothing but, not just EDM, but just house music, mm-hmm. dance music. So you guys were still playing hip-hop. You just added it. You Correct. Just added we added playing Yeah. It just stood out more because it was a sound that obviously stood out more. Yeah. You know, you might be playing something from Calvin Harris. But, um, and then again, we also saw like, you know, Calvin Harris doing songs with Rihanna, doing songs with Neil, doing songs with some of our artists as well. Who are kind of more the R&B pop leaning artists? They were, they, that sound was starting to become a little bit more mainstream. But we, we tried very carefully to make sure that our sound still centered on some of the hip hop. And to be honest with you, uh, Crooked, also at that point in time, hip hop also was in a cycle. Meaning, like there was some great hip hop, and the, the the number of hip hop hits kind of slowed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you did see some of the EDM kind of shine. And again, we were just playing to what was hot at the time, <clears throat> but never, but never strayed away from, from hip hop in general. Well, for me, from like a, a, like a club DJ perspective, I started seeing a lot of like hip hop open format. I mean, we call it DJ, yes. we call open, we call it open format, but it's basically hip hop DJs. We saw a lot of hip hop yes. DJs literally turned it back to hip hop and become like these EDM DJs at the time. Yes. And then... Mm-hmm. I started coming to LA and I was like, geez, like the radio station even turned EDM. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, and everyone's like turning their back to hip hop. And then all of a sudden when the EDM wave went down, some of these DJs who turned their back to hip hop started, started being like, Oh no, no, I've always been a hip hop DJ. And it's like, nah, like the EDM waves over your money ain't coming from EDM no more. Now you're trying to be an open format DJ. And then, kind of like hip-hop started emerging from la again and i was like oh like what what's going on and i've never kind of experienced a radio station kind of jump formats of music just hop around sure. you know well i think it wasn't i think i think that that's a great great observation and i think it, you're right i think it was more of a perception that was put out again we never strayed away totally from hip-hop we just added more of the sound of the edm through our mix shows not mm-hmm. truly in rotation unless it was a, a big hit again we tried to make sure that some of the edm stuff we played had some hip hop compatibility in the mix shows. It, it was a little tough because we did see that that sound was working a little bit more, especially in the clubs. Yeah. Um, and, and we were very cautious and we were trying to calculate what we were doing. But at the same time, you also had artists again, like I said, even to Diplo and major laser and, you know, to Steve and, and some of these artists who incorporated 
hip hop. And then you had someone like Calvin Harris who later down the road did, didn't even do an EDM album. His album was more hip hop sounding, even had pop artists on there, right. but it was more funkier hip hop appealing. Do you, did you notice that the music started getting like we, we talked about this a little bit, but do you see that the music is just getting more segregated a little bit where there isn't that oh. fine line of pop anymore where like a, a little pop, bit yes where a pop song couldn't cross over to a hip-hop as much you know it, what i mean it just depends uh um, yeah i mean if, if there's anything that's a little current and i hate to say it because i think this is still truly some kind of hip-hop rap record but like the doja cat record the say so record that mm -hmm. really took off more on the pop tip man people were saying even though she had the juicy record with tyga and that was definitely more more hip-hop sounding the the say so record was when you listen to it it's kind of really more of a pop record what people define as pop now but right it um it kind of worked its way backwards and then she had this remix that came out with Nicki minaj which made it a little more hip-hop friendly but again it just really depends on the song and it just depends on the sound um ariana grande i remember you know when she first came out um you know her song that took off was the the record with mac miller the way which really had more hip-hop sounds and her sound wasn't really pop yet it was just kind of more hip-hop appeal because she had mac miller then her next single was the one with uh with big sean and yeah. you know they both had samples you know so and then she kind of elevated and got to that thing i think what's happening is justin bieber i think is a great example of you know his most current album you know people call it r and bieber because it was more r&b influenced mm -hmm. now it mm -hmm. took a while for him too for him to cross backwards because he came out straight pop and you know obviously he wanted to have that appeal on, on the hip-hop tip of from from you know cats or, or listeners or audiences that were more fans of hip-hop and r&b so he tried very hard to, to you know make sounds like that and it just it took a while but he, he i guess you could say there was definitely some appeal now from 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 this audience don't you think it's a little harder to like because uh, I, I for like these pop artists or i would say like a justin bieber or justin timberlake you know i feel like they were always r&b but they were just pop artists because of their Correct. their notoriety and fame but nowadays Correct. we wouldn't even consider them r&b at all like the hip-hop or the r&b community wouldn't even accept their music nowadays because it's yep. so segregated like 20 years yeah, ago yeah. we would have been more receptive we would have been like oh shit they're trying to do hip-hop or they're trying to do r&b and shit we would have yep. been like cool that, that that's popping but nowadays it could be a great song but we're like yeah we're not accepting that we don't want to hear that no you're right but i think that's why i um i i still feel collaborations are very important mm -hmm. because that still gives validity and it kind of stamps them and gives credibility in regards to some of, some of the songs like again with justin's current album um you know he has you know post malone travis scott on there and you know, the song that's taken off right now is with quavo mm -hmm. so you know um I, I still think that having that association helps in a sense but again their their perception and their how they look they're still popping they're always going to be that way but at the end of the day, it's still about the music. Is the music or the song going to have appeal to the, the audience? So what I've noticed, too, is over the years, we've now become, we're, we're in eras where it's about just having hot songs, not having hot artists. You know, one song could pop and that's it. Two songs could pop and that's it. It's hard now to, and, and this is no shot at any of the record labels, but the record labels, they're relying now on, just what's a hot song that's streaming like crazy that i'm going to sign or what's the one that's getting the most views that's going to bring you know these this much streams you know I, I don't think the developing the next artist is is 
is there anymore. It's you have to kind of develop yourself. And I think that's the entire game. I think that's also for us as DJs, mm -hmm. even for up and coming DJs. It's like, you know, I'm not saying that we're all getting undercut by all these other DJs, but they're trying to hustle now to, to find ways to make their names for themselves. So with you guys in a pandemic right now, right? With all of us mm -hmm. in a pandemic, yeah. everyone's yep. pretty much working from home. You guys yep. are known to have artists in and out of the radio station. Are you guys You're navigating right. any type of artist relations right now or not really? Absolutely. Um, so funny you mentioned that. What was dope about power, just even right before the COVID stuff, there was almost an artist every day in the building. Mm -hmm. You could have been an established artist or an up and coming. There was always some kind of artist that was here at, at, the, at the radio station. Um, with, with the pandemic and, and the quarantines, we had to figure out ways. And it took a couple of weeks for a lot of people to figure out how can we continue to have quality interviews that doesn't sound like they're on the phone. And just, again, just this, you know, this podcast that we're doing now with you guys, um, we were able to develop that with, with Nick. So we're doing something, a term that I heard recently called Zoom interviews. We're doing a lot of interviews via, uh, via Zoom or we're doing a lot of interviews via IG Live. Mm -hmm. So we're finding ways to connect with artists and our audiences through these platforms and, and, and putting it on the air and putting it online. So, and again, it's, it's interesting that with, with Nick, for example, the quality of artists too and celebrities we've been able to get a lot easier because of quarantine a lot more artists and celebrities are, are more open to doing it and <laughs> yeah of course nick's name is a big big plus uh because they're, they're sitting with nick but uh again just once we perfected how these zoom interviews work we, the, the number of, of of celebrities wanting to do the interviews have been crazy i was going to ask like during this time do you find it a little more difficult to break new music you know usually you have like a request line uh you have the artist come in and offer new music for you guys to play. You yeah. guys have mixer meetings that you guys discuss yeah. new music. And in those mixer meetings, you decide what to put in the mix shows on the radio. You don't have that, those options and those outlets right now. So it's a little tougher to break new music and get good feedback of new music. A lot of it right now. Well, yeah, it has. Um, Cause we've had to make some adjustments. Um, you know, I'm still obviously, you know, making the final decision on the music and, and how we play and what we play. Uh, but I do have, I still talk to my teams on the phone. Um, and I'll also, you know, I, I talk a lot with the record labels and the record companies just, and, and again, just doing a lot of research on our end to see what works. And again, if we're looking at streaming to see if that's helping, uh, you know, kind of see what engaging what's hot right now. Like if Tucci side is the number one streaming record in the country or even in LA, that kind of shows like, Hey, this might probably be our biggest testing record for the radio. So again, uh, but we're, we're, we try our best to continue to stay on track with what's hot and what's what's not and, and all is there anything uh what do you call it i don't want to take up too much of your time we're almost hitting two hours and stuff uh, no worries i appreciate again this opportunity guys this is this is though i i enjoy telling stories and, <laughs> and, and my experiences and stuff because you know I, i've never really been the kind kind of guy that i i don't boast or brag or anything like that but i love when people ask me questions i love sharing experiences and stories and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm blessed and, and very humbled by you know just what i'm doing now again one thing I told my bosses is, you know, I used Kobe as an as an example where, you know, he had many opportunities with the Lakers. He had opportunities with the Lakers, but he didn't. And I'm hoping I could be the Kobe for, for power where, you know, 
I finish off my career here at Power. That's amazing. That's yeah. a great analogy. Yeah. Yo, one, yep. one, more, one more thing before we leave, uh, E-Man. I yes, find out, like, how, what was, like, the tension or what happened between you and Chingy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great, great, great question. Is there one more story. Uh, you know. <laughs> Wait, Chingy right there? Chingy right there? Chingy yeah. right there. <laughs> there, there, were, there were, there were, there were, but <laughs> <laughs> my, my overall goal point with him is and i'll start off with this and i'll tell you the story you should always treat someone the same it doesn't matter who they are you shouldn't treat anyone different it doesn't matter if they're a fan a listener a programmer a record exec always treat someone the same um so years ago, he did an interview at Power, and you know, it was like, email, what's up, blah blah blah. You know, shook hands, you know, hug, and and then and I said, hey. So t- the next day, we we co- coincidentally had a show. I was DJing a show in Albuquerque. He was performing it with Ice Cube was also on the show and all this other stuff. And uh, we all coincidentally happened to be on the same flight. And uh, I didn't get to say hi to him on the plane because we we're all running late. And then uh, when he came off the plane. I'm over here standing with Dub C and, and, and Tunes. We, we were all on the same flight because, like I said, Ice Cube was, was performing on it. And here comes, you know, Chingy walking down. I'm like, yo, Chingy. I was, you know, I was like, yo, Chingy, what's up, man? And I went to go shake his hand. He didn't want to shake my hand. He's like, I need to go to my car. Take me to my car right now. I'm like, yo, Chingy, it's, uh, you know, I'm e He's like, I want to go to my car right now, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it was so fucking rude. And I, and I remember I was like, yo, man, what the fuck, man? Fuck this dude. <laughs> it was like... It doesn't matter who I am. Even if I was a fan trying to shake your hand, like at least shake my hand or be nice. Don't be some rude ass punk that that's like you know that treated me like like shit. And of course, I took that person. I was like, man, fuck this guy. And since then, I knew they were trying to work a record. Like, man, I'm never gonna play this guy's record again. Wow. And at, <laughs> and at the time, he was off of disturbing the peace. Him and DTP, remember they they kind of they they were separate ways. And then a couple of years later. I get a call from Chaka, Chaka Zulu. It's like, yo, E, what's up? You know, you know, we have Chingy back on uh, on our label or, or our team. We have a new song. I'm like, man, fuck that dude. He's <laughs> like, what do you mean? I told him the story. And I'm like, like he was like, yo, we got to fix this shit. I was like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. Damn. And then later on, Ludacris calls me. <laughs> and Ludo's like, yo. And he leaves me a message. He's like, yo, E, this is Chris. Ho- holler at me. And then I, 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 and then I, you know, I hit up Luda, and then he, t- and then he was like, "Yo, yeah, I gotta, I gotta." Like I heard something with you and Shane, man, and I was like, "Man, fuck that dude." He's like, "How can we fix it?" He was like, and and I was like, "No, nah, I, I can't do this, man." Like he really pissed me off, and it was like, "Yo," and it went really real quick. Like I even told the labels, like, "Yo, like your man, like really, like really pissed me off." So like, I can't, I can't fuck with this dude, and uh, and then I get a message like a week after Luda called. I, I talked to Luda, and he was like, "Yo, we're about to do these DTP meetings." In in in, uh, in the Caribbean, let, let me fly you out and let's uh, let's fix the situation with you and Sheen. And, and I hit him back. I'm like, Nah, man, I'm good. Wow. I ain't trying to fuck with this. Damn. <laughs> so here's Respect a story. The energy. Here's a story I haven't told anyone. So I'm in Atlanta for something for Billboard. Um, actually, they they were giving me an award for something. So I actually went to Billboard in Atlanta for this award ceremony. And Chaka knew I was coming out. So Chaka was like, Yo, E, come by the DTP offices, man. We would love for you to. Uh, you know, we want to see you and, and come see the offices. So I go to his office. A few minutes later, guess who walks in? Chingy. And, and, uh, right and like, there. 
And then, yeah, he was right there. <laughs> and, uh, I know, and then Chaka brings it up. And, you know, Ching tries to shake my hand. and want to shake his hand. So he's like, man, I don't remember any of this stuff. I was like, man, let me tell you what went down. So I explained the whole story. He goes, I don't remember any of this. I was like, bro, I'm not making this shit up, bro. And I said, even with, with Dub C as my witness and, and a couple people around me, it's like, bro, you were just the rudest shit. And my point is that, like, you know, I'll shake your hand and all, but my point is that you can't treat anyone, 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 anyone differently. Because, again, you don't know who you will piss off. You could be pissing off. Again, you should never piss anyone off. If a fan, like, why would you want to do that to, first off, any fan? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because they're the ones who, who are buying your music. They're the ones who are supporting you. And to piss someone off like that, um, again, you'll never know who that person could be. You know, yeah, granted, like I, I was the music director at the time who I didn't want to support you and play your music, but that next person could have been someone down the road that's hiring you for a concert or who might give you this endorsement deal for a product. You know, you'll just never know who you'll piss off. So always treat people the same, at least kindly. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Just show respect to people. Don't don't treat, treat disrespectfully. So then after that, we were cool. And then, to be honest with you, I just felt like, you know, I'm cool. Like I, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't think it was genuine from him. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was just like, man, forget this guy. So Chaka, Ludacris, they're my they're my they're my peoples. They're always gonna be my peoples. But you know, with Chingy, that's why I was just like, man, I, I I didn't feel like it was genuine. So Chingy, so was just like, Chingy got no spins in L.A. <laughs> not not since then. Not since then. Did it, you know, I'm not. You know, like, again, like, you know, you know, he's continuing to do who he does. You know, I'm never gonna go out in public and just you know hate on the guy. But you know, that's just me. Just like what do you call? It? I remember too another story where remember the Outlaws, a group called the Outlaws. Yeah, I remember yeah, I went yeah. to a, uh, I went to a Tamiya listening party, and this was years ago. And I don't know if he was just drunk. And I was out. Um, I was out. Um, I was outside at valet leaving, and I was with my fiance, who's my wife now. And this guy was just very just disrespectful. He was just like. You know, fuck power and man, you don't support my shit. The people in New York support. It. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm playing your record right now. When you have a Tupac, that we're the only station playing, uh, and this that he's like, man, just like talking all the shit. So I knew who was managing him. It was Steve Lobel. I don't know if you guys know, know who Steve yeah. Lobel is. Yeah, Steve, Steve Lobel was managing. Him. I called Steve and like right after. I was like, yo, Steve, your boy from the Outlaws disrespecting me in front of my fiance. I was like, your boy is like crazy. What was he saying? Who was it? It's like, I don't know which one it was, but the next day, the next day, Steve LaBell shows up with all uh, three members of the outlaw. He's like, E-Man, which, which guy is it? I go, it's that guy right there. <laughs> and he goes, no, I didn't do that to you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yes, you did. Yo, what? <laughs> I apologize and everything. And, you know, Steve is my boy. So I said, okay, cool. But you got it. And I said, like, yo, you cannot disrespect people like that. Like, you got to know who you're talking to. Maybe you're drunk or whatever or high or whatever it was, but, like, you can't do that to me, bro. You can't do that. It's not It's not fair or it's disrespectful, especially in front of my wife or my fiance at the time, you know? So. Yeah. Damn, B. Yo, oh, respect man. the energy. You man laying the law on everybody, yo. That's crazy. <laughs> all right. You know what it is? And, it's, it's, and, and look, it's about, it's honestly, all I, and my point when I do this, it's just like, I, I just wanted to treat, uh, teach them a lesson. It's like, yo, all you have to do is just treat people with respect. That's it. Simple as that. Treat people with respect. He's a like, simple handshake, a simple what's up, a simple hi, even a picture. Dang. It should never be an issue if someone just wants to come say hi to you. That's all. 
That's respect, man. That's one to grow on, man. We ending on a good message, Joe. Always treat everyone no, with respect, good. man. Uh, and, what do you and call and it? Fellas, I appreciate you. I appreciate y'all. Seriously, guys. I respect what you guys are doing with, with, with this. And, and, and again, just much props to you guys. And, you know, I wish you all the best. I know, you know, right now we're all on, on, a, on a temporary hiatus yeah. from what we do yeah. in regards to the clubs. But I know that all of us uh, will be out there soon. You know, I've, I've always been a fan ever since I heard you at that Suja dinner. And, uh, you know, I really, I rarely, rarely remember sets like that, but I remember that set and I remember that name. And even throughout the years after that, everyone had such great things to say about you, you know, uh, never, w were you talking with Nick Ferrer or who were you talking with? Oh yeah. Uh, Nick Ferrer. He told me he interned for you back in the day. So yeah. 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 He yeah. said you were like the best boss that he ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, wow. then you taught him a lot about radio programming. And then there was just so oh, many wow. people we talked to in uh, researching for this interview with you and, you know. So many people had so many great things to say, and you put on so many DJs. You know, you really remember the people that helped other people. And uh, what do you call it? Much respect, and we really appreciate you being on the show, yo, for real. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Seriously, yeah. thank you, guys. I, I love sharing my experiences and, and, and talking about what we all love doing, DJing to, to music in general. So uh, thank you, guys. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, bro. Right. Appreciate hey, man, thank yeah. you very much, man. Appreciate you, bro. That's all good. No, thank you, guys. I appreciate, appreciate it, man. This is up. What do you call it? Jamie, you want to close us out? Close it out. And if you want to watch this video alongside all our brand new videos we drop on Friday, youtube.com slash world podcast. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell to be the first to be the, see the video. And a uh, big shout to DJ City. We out, y'all. Peace. 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 Peace.